One of the joys of that song is it emphasizes the extent of Jesus' love for us. Behold the man upon a cross, my sins upon his shoulders. Wow. The love, the, the, the love of Christ should remind us and fill us and inform us in our thoughts and our decisions every day. As a matter of fact, it is because of this love that we have coming from God that enables us to love one another and to love one another well. As a matter of fact, as you recall, Jesus told his disciples, listen, I'm giving you a new commandment, that you love one another in the same way as I have loved you. And this is how everyone's going to know that you're my disciples because of the depth and the deepness and the richness and the grace-filled love that you have one for another. Pretty Pretty great stuff. Here's the problem. To live above with saints we love, oh, that'll be glory. But to live below with these folks I know, that's another story. Sometimes it's hard to live in healthy relationships. As a matter of fact, in this text, in Colossians chapter 3, where we're studying, we're talking about putting on it. The first thing that he deals with, things that we're to put on are right relationships, right friendships. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved what? You put on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. He's talking about friendships. He's talking about relationships. Now, we're going to get to marriage relationships and family relationships in just a few verses, but right now, I want you to think in the context of your friends. Do you have friends? One of the early years of my pastorate here, I've been here a long time, one of the early years of my pastorate, we had a member of the church who came up to me after the service, and of course, I was was fairly highly motivated to be friends with everybody. You know, we, I, you know, we're right. You love everybody, and you're kind to everyone, and you, you need to pursue friendship with everyone. And this individual came up to me and said, you know, I, I, I really don't intend to be rude, but I don't like you. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, my first response was, well, I'm sorry. I, is there something that I have done? And this person said, nope. I just don't like you. And I thought, okay, Lord, here's a challenge. <laughs> this is going to be an opportunity. And, again, we had several conversations through the years. This person never did come around <laughs> to embracing me with open arms. And I said, well, you know, if it's a personality thing, if it's a temperament, if it's, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it is. You know, there are some people that you just kind of embrace and you meet them and you love them. And there are other people that you think... I'm going to love you from a distance. This person just kind of approached me and said, yeah, you know, I'm sure that you're a nice guy, to, but yeah, I just, I just don't like you. And I thought, well, okay, how do I, as a pastor, love and teach and encourage and instruct? And my responsibility was to love them whether they liked me or not. Isn't that right? Isn't our responsibility to love people that don't like us? Isn't our responsibility to pursue relationships, healthy relationships with people who have problems with us. What, what fascinates me in this passage of Scripture is right after he says, listen, your source for being a good friend is not getting your needs met through your friendships. Remember what he said. He said, you're God's chosen ones. God chose you. You're holy. You've been set apart. God already said, you're mine and you are distinct. You are beloved. The entire amazing love of God is poured out upon you. And because you are loved, because I'm the one responsible for meeting your needs, you can selflessly give yourself away in friendships and relationships because they don't have to meet your needs. I've got that taken care of. Isn't that great? 
Isn't that good news? Because, the, again, apart from Christ, you don't get this. Apart from Christ, you need somebody to meet your needs. You get into relationships for what they can do for you, whether it's that overt or whether it's that blatant or not. That's the underlying motivation. But in Christ, we can lay that aside. And we can say, I am complete in Him. Jesus is all. He is all I need. Jesus is all. He is all I need. But by His grace, you know what He does? He gives me the opportunity to love you. To enter into a relationship with you. To be your friend. To be compassionate and kind. To be humble. To be merciful. And then he goes right after that great exhortation. The very next thing he says, bear with one another. You know what he's telling you, right? You're going to be disappointed. There are going to be people that you just have to bear with. Another way to say bear with one another is put up with one another. We understand the good news is because people are imperfect, there are going to be times where there are offenses. They're going to hurt your feelings. They're going to not be there when you need them. They're not going to call when you think they ought to call. They're going to respond in a way that you weren't expecting them to respond. Somebody's going to be offensive to you. And matter of fact, I will tell you, in any long-term relationship, there are going to be rough spots. There are going to be times where you have to step back and take a breath. Uh, Now, I want to address something specific in this message today that's in this text. It's inherent and it's overt in the text. There is a common teaching today that says, if someone is offensive to you, just cut them off. If they're not helping you in your life, if they're not meeting your needs, if they're not making you be all you can be, cut them off and go get new friends. I hear that in sermons I hear that in TED Talks. I hear that in podcasts from people I respect most of the time. I see it in memes on social media. If people are making your life hard, cut them loose. If people are dragging you down, let them go. If people offend you or if they are repeat offenders, leave them and go find better friends. And I want to tell you there are two problems with that. Number one, the next friends you find are going to do the same thing at some level. People are imperfect. I'll get a hearty amen there. People are imperfect. Your new friends will disappoint and offend you too from time to time. But the second is our text. Our text gives us no out to cut people loose. The title of the sermon is Hang In There. How do you hang in there for long-term, healthy, God-glorifying friendships and relationships? in the body of Christ. And it's not as easy as we wish it would be. But fortunately, Christ enables us to do so. And we have clear instructions that equip us in this text to hang in there when friendships and relationships get rough. Now, I do need to make a note. This used to be, I think, understood, but it needs to be clarified. This is not a call to stay in an abusive relationship. If your safety or your security is threatened, you need to get out of there and we'll help. You let us know. We will help. Are we clear? Are we clear? Okay. Now, no worries. Uh, if, If we're clear, good. I want to move on because what I'm talking about and what I believe this text is talking about is this in the day in and day out of life. The struggles when you have it in life. When somebody says something, hurts your feelings. When somebody says something or doesn't do something or does something, 
that crosses a line and you get your back up. You guys know what I mean by get your back up, right? I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. I'm going to be mad for a while. You, got, you, can, you can relate. You can understand what I'm talking about. This warning, he says, bear with one another, put up with one another, hang in there. He wants us to know that the first step to having lasting friendships is expect offenses. <laughs> expect offenses. If you're taking notes, by the way, I put these two words at a time. I'm going to keep it simple. and We're going to try to keep it as concise as we can. But here's the first thing. If you're expecting your... I'll put it in context of relationships because we do a lot of premarital counseling. If you're expecting your future wife or your future husband to meet all your needs, you need to adjust your expectations. People are imperfect. If you're expecting having that kid will make everything right, someone to pour your love in and someone who will love you unconditionally, they'll turn 13 one day. Okay? Uh, I'm just telling you, if you're putting your hope in somebody else, meeting your needs. That's why he starts with, we're God's chosen ones. We're set apart to God. We are beloved of God. Because of that, we can pour ourselves outward. Does that make sense? And so we need to learn that people are imperfect and to expect offenses. And somehow we never quite get it because we'll have a friendship, we'll have a relationship, things will be going along fine, and all of a sudden they won't respond to our text. Or, they want, or they'll make some sort of comment, or they won't invite us to something that we think they ought to invite us to, or something happens, and all of a sudden... We're offended. They're offended. Now, they have offended us. And, and, and we need to anticipate those bumps in the road. Now, I do want to tell you that there are real offenses. Sometimes people will get mad at you and they will act toward you with malice. They will wish you ill. And it's okay to cut those people loose. No, I'm kidding. The Scripture doesn't say that. There are times when they will be rude, when they will be selfish, when they will be greedy when they will be impatient, when they have a bad day or a bad week or a bad month or a bad six months, they have the same temptations, trials, and frustrations in life that, that, that you do, and they will be as weak and as stumbling in this relationship as you are and have been. And there may be times when they act toward you and offend you maliciously. Expect it. But there are also other types of offenses. There are less real offenses. They're just careless offenses. They will do things which, with no offense intended. It might be a casual comment or a joke, and you're asking, what do you mean by that? What do they think? What, 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 what are they trying to say below the surface? Uh, they will just be normal because of the day you're having. You will take it as an offense. Sometimes you get offended where there's no offense intended. You guys understand what I'm saying? You're, can you relate to that? You get offended, or, or, or you offend someone, and there was certainly no offense intended. And sometimes it happens the other way. Be aware of those things. And then there are a whole other category of offenses. There are caring offenses. There are times when people love you enough to correct something in your thinking or in your behavior. Sometimes because they are your friend and they are loving you well, they'll call you out. Now, they're not malicious. They're not working against you. They're not careless. It's not just one of those things in life that happens. But with intentionality, they will point out an area of your life. It may be something that you said. It may be a behavior pattern that you're engaged in. It may be something going on in your life that is harmful or hurtful, and they're willing to take the risk of being offense in order to help you long term. Does that make sense? Proverbs puts it like this, faithful are the wounds of a friend's, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Watch out for flattery. Your real friends 
will sometimes offend you for your own good. Expect defenses. Expect defenses. But what happens? Whatever the motivation, it's going to happen. We all know that. Peter knew it. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus was teaching. He was teaching about what happens when a brother sins and how do you respond. What are the things that we are to do? And then at the close of that, then in verse 21, Matthew 18, 21, Peter comes to Jesus and, and he approaches him and he says, Lord, how often when my brother sinned against me, how, how often, and, and I must forgive him. As many as seven times. Now, before we go further, I want you to recognize that the Pharisees taught three. They were basically three strikes and you're out. Okay? The Pharisees said, you forgive them once, forgive them twice, third time, that's it. And so Peter was being pretty magnanimous. Seven. I mean, you know, that's kind of an Old Testament number. That's a good number. That's a number that represents God. And so, let's don't say three. Let's more than double it. Let's say seven. As many as seven times. And Jesus answered, I love this, I do not say to you seven times. But 77 times, it can also be interpreted and often is 7 times 70. So it's either 77 or 490. Now what he's not telling them to do is take out your diary and start checking things off the list. And when they're getting close, warn them, that's it. You've got two more chances. That's not what he's saying. This is rhetorical speech. And what he's saying is don't count. Don't count. Don't count. You're never off the hook. Of forgiveness. How about that? Forgiveness becomes a lifestyle in the life of a believer. That's the command. Bear with one another. Hang in there. Put up with. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you all must forgive. And so uh, it's important. Word choices matter. Word choices in how we communicate. And so the first point is you need to expect offense. But, but, but we also need to forgive. That's the command here. It's forgive. Now, when in biblical interpretation, you're aware that Greek is a different language than English. And there can be different words that are interpreted with the same English word. Aphemy, aphemy is the typical word for forgive. And it means to forgive. It means to release, to let go, to surrender, let it go. Let, don't break out in song. Every time I hear let it go, I, I want to think let it go, let it go. But this is release, let go, let go, let go of the offense. But that is not the word that's used here. This word is charizomai. The base word is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. Anybody here know what charis means? It means grace. It means grace. Charizomai. It's only translated forgive about 10 times in the New Testament. Over 100 times, aphemi, aphemi, I can't, A-P-H-I-E-M-I, okay, is, is, is used for forgiveness. This is only used about 10 times, and it's all based upon context. A lot of times, this is used for to grant somebody something, to give somebody something freely. Grace, to gift, grace, to gift someone so it's translated here, forgive, because of the context. What is the context? There's a grievance. There's a complaint. There's a, a blame. There is a fault. Something has happened in the relationship. And so what do we do? We forgive. We forgive freely. We release, but not only do we release, we respond with more than mercy. We respond with grace. And you know the difference, right? By the way, the second point, give grace. Give grace. Give grace. Well, mercy is what? Mercy is not holding you accountable. Mercy is releasing you. 
Well, mercy is, is forgiveness. Mercy is wiping the slate clean. What is grace? Grace is gifting you on top of that with something that you do not deserve. Okay? Mercy brings you to fair. Grace takes you way out of fairness in your favor. Does that make sense? All right. I want you to understand the difference. It's not natural because we are naturally scorekeepers. Uh, uh, years ago, I was listening to a preacher who was talking about husbands and wives, and in talking about his wife, he said, when we argue, my wife gets historical. Not hysterical. Historical. What do you mean by that? She brings up everything I've done wrong since, since, since we've met. All right. uh, uh, we, t- and again, that was his illustration, but don't you get historical? Don't you tend to remember wrongs? Don't you tend to allow them to accumulate? It's not natural for us to not only forgive, wipe the slate clean, but to give grace to go beyond that. We naturally want to retaliate. We naturally want to retaliate. Now, if we're self-controlled, we want to do the minimum just to even things up. Let's at least get to the mercy point. But Jesus gives us a whole different approach. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount? He says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Let's keep things fair. Let's keep things equitable. Right? But, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil to you. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, what do you do? Turn to him the other also, the left. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic... Let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, there was a habit or a practice that any Roman citizen could have a non-Roman citizen, particularly a Roman soldier, could have a non-Roman citizen accompany him and carry his load, his gear, his equipment, for up to a mile, and it would not break the law. They were permitted, but not to be abusive, they limited it to a mile. Jesus says, did they tell you one mile? Go two. Go two. Go, which is where we get the phrase, go the second mile. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse to the one who would borrow from you. We are to go overboard in showing kindness to those who have offended us. Okay? Release and give grace. This is forgiveness. This is full forgiveness. This is not being quick to take offense. This is saying, you have offended me. And it may be malicious. You may have intended to offend me. It may have been careless. You may not have intended to offend me it may be careful you are trying to help me and immediately my response is that it is an offense and so what i want to do is i want to evaluate that and i don't want to quickly rush to judgment or retribution or close the door or close things off or get you out of my life i want to stick with you and hang in there for the long term for the glory of god because god will use the conflicts in this relationship to help me grow in my dependence upon him god will use the conflicts in this relationship to bring out the character of christ in me and nothing is more defining of Christ than forgiveness would you agree with that even when they took him to the cross even when they spat upon him and beat him his prayer for them was father forgive them for they know not what they do he always and does extend grace Ken Sandy wrote a book called The Peacemaker, and it's about how to live in healthy relationships. And it's a good book. It's a whole, he's got a whole website, it's a whole conference, it's a, it's a ministry that has a lot of resources, and there's a lot of strengths there uh, that, that are in there. It's one of the best books. But his wife wrote a children's book. Her name is Colette, or Corlette, 
And she wrote a children's book called The Young Peacemaker. And she sums all this up in very visual, clear. It's a beautiful little book. I recommend it to parents. I'll get you the information on it. But she says, when you're offended, how do you maintain these relationships? Number one, good thought. You want to change your thinking about the situation. Not retribution, not keeping a record. You want to have the right thinking. Good thought, hurt you not. No retribution. Don't blame or retaliate. Gossip never. That's the third way that we hurt people or we get back. We talk about them to other people. By the way, Proverbs mentions that in Proverbs 17.9. It says, whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter, he who won't harps on it and shares it, he separates close friends. So repeating a matter does not help your friendships. It harms your friendships. So good thought, hurt you not. Gossip never, friends forever. How about that? Long-term friendship. Very simply put, but it's very, very good to do. Now, here's the problem. When we get to this point in the sermon, some of you say, I'm not going to do that. That's a good Sunday school lesson. It's what preachers are supposed to say. I mean, you expect Jesus to forgive. He's God. He's got it. But, buddy, that guy hurt my feelings. And it was a wound so deep, I think about it, sometimes I wake up in the night and I'm mad. Or sometimes I wake up in the night and I'm sad. And sometimes there's a wound that just seems to bleed and, and, and I have been, it, it seems like a debt. They owe me. They owe me for the pain they caused me. They owe me for the harm they did to me. They owe me for the sleepless nights. They owe me for the stress and the worry. They owe me for the medication I'm taking. They owe me. They owe me. And whether we're overt in this, we tend to harbor unforgiveness in our hearts toward those who have offended us. We think they should pay for what they did. Or at the very least, they ought to know about it. So maybe they won't do it again in the future. They ought to know about it. How does that play into Romans 12? How does that play into the teaching in this text and throughout Scripture that says we're to return good for evil. That we're not to become overcome by evil, but we're to overcome evil with good. That we're to deny ourselves. That we're not to take vengeance or retribution in our own hands, but we're to let God take care of that, trusting Him. And we think that's pretty easy when it comes to my enemies, because I expect my enemies not to like me. Don't you? Don't you expect your enemies not to like me? But this is my friend. I've opened my heart to this person. I've bought him coffee. I've lent them my truck. I'm being a little silly here. But you understand, I've opened my life to them. And then for them to do something hurt my feelings like that. I'm going to send them an email. I want you to understand how petty we sound sometimes. How silly we sound sometimes when we get this in perspective. When it's our friends, this becomes more important. Get this. When it comes to your friends, the people you're investing your life in, the people you're opening your life to, the people you're most vulnerable to, they have the opportunity to hurt you worse. And this becomes more important. It becomes so much more important to be willing to, to release the debt, mercy, and to act for their good, grace.
Release the debt. Mercy. Act for their good. Grace. And you may be thinking, well, I just can't do that. And I have had people tell me that. I have people tell me that. I can't. Well, here's the good news. Jesus can. As a matter of fact, not only has can Jesus, Jesus has. Jesus has. What does Paul say in verse 13? In the same way, kathos, in the same way, to the same extent that Christ has forgiven you, you're to forgive one another. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint, there's a problem against each other, forgive, extend grace, as the Lord has forgiven you, in the same manner that Jesus forgave you, so you must also forgive. We talk a lot about the gospel here, and we should, amen? The good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. How that we were lost and separated from God by sin. How that we deserved eternal punishment from a just God. We had turned our backs on our Creator. And God, because He loved us so much, was not willing to leave us in the state. And when we could not get to Him through our own unrighteousness, He came to us, the incarnation. God took on the form of man, human man, lived without sin, righteous, fulfilling every aspect of the law. And as an innocent man, went to the cross to pay the penalty for all guilty people everywhere. And God's wrath against sin was poured out upon Him. And when we come to Him and recognize, I'm lost, I need to be saved. And we open up our hearts to Him and surrender our life. It's repentance. It's turning from the way I used to live and now saying, I'm yours. All I've got, all I am, all my future, I'm yours. We turn to Him in repentance and faith. Then He washes us and He cleanses us. And He comes to live within us. And He makes us new. Not by what we did, but by what He has done and he secures our eternity for us. Hallelujah. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's do better. Amen. Amen. Saved by grace. Forgiven. Well, what does that have to do with my buddy over here making me mad and me having to forgive him? Number one, Jesus is our peace. We won't take time here to go to Ephesians chapter 2. But you're talking about the conflict between Gentile and Jew. And Paul says, I want you to recognize what's happened here. God took enemies and brought them together and made something completely new. A new man in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel radically changes everything, including how we deal with friendships. Listen to Galatians chapter, I mean Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We're His beloved children. Now we imitate Him. His image, His life in us. What does that mean? Verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here's the point. We're dearly beloved children. We can dearly love others. We are loved. We love. We have been forgiven. Therefore we can forgive. We have been reconciled. Therefore I can pursue reconciliation part of the reason we don't forgive is we forget who we are we forget who we are we are the recipients of grace amen that's why we need to sing more songs during the week like we sing on sunday morning how deep the father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son isn't that isn't that it's just amazing amazing truth now, Jesus knew we couldn't get these horizontal relationships right unless we understood our vertical relationship, our relationship with Him right. 
And so I want to close this sermon with an illustration that should put this in perspective. Peter comes to Jesus. This is in Matthew 18, by the way, if you want to follow along. Peter comes to Jesus and says, Well, how many times do I have to put up with this brother? How many times am I going to have to forgive him? By the way, if you want another verse on that, look at Luke chapter 17, verse 3 and 4. If your brother does a fault or is in a sin, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he comes back seven times in a day, say he repents, you forgive him every time. Forgiveness doesn't run out. I want you to get this. Now, this is not a deep, in-depth study on reconciliation. This is making sure that you're not holding a grudge. This is making sure that you're not withholding grace from someone you ought to be extending grace to. That make sense? Stay with me. All right, but Peter comes and he says, how many times do I have to put up with the offense from this brother? How many times do I have to forgive him? Seven? Jesus says no. Seventy times seven or 77. Uh, just a bunch. Don't count. And then Jesus told this parable. He told this parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. This is a very wealthy man who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And so, let's see who owes me. Let's collect what's owed. If I owe somebody something, let's get all this squared away. And when he began to settle account, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, in your mind today, I want you to think $10 million. Okay? $10 million. For most of us, that's more than we're going to make in a year. Okay? Uh, most of us aren't going to see $10 million in a lifetime. I don't know how this guy incurred this debt. But it is a massive debt. I want you to think $10 million, okay? And since he could not pay, obviously, it was beyond his means, his master had ordered him to be sold into slavery with his wife and children and all that he had and all that payment. Again, the master's just recovering his losses. All that payment to be made to the master. And so the servant heard this. I'm going to be sold. All my earnings go to him, my wife, my kids. And so the servant fell on his knees. He, he didn't deny his debt. I want you to get that. He fell on his knees and he implored him, just have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now the master knew he couldn't, but out of pity, verse 27, for him, the master of the servant did something big. He did something massive. He released him. There's your mercy. He released him. He released him from the debt and he forgave him the debt. He let him go. But when the same servant went out, the story takes an unusual twist. There was one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, I don't know how much you make a year. And, and I don't want to know. Don't tell me. All right. But just for the sake of round numbers, if you made $100,000 in a year, let's say this is $33,000. This is one-third of a year's salary. Okay? So, $10 million. 33000 out of a $100,000 salary. We good? All right. So when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a third of a year's salary, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down, and he pleaded with him, have patience with me. I'll pay you. Is this more payable, more affordable? Could possibly happen. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Which does not seem like a very wise move, does it? When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him. This would not have been a welcome message. 
His master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pled, you pleaded with me. And should, you, should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy upon you? And in anger, this is orge, this is wrath, in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. His debt was not forgiven. Now, I want to read verse 35, and that's what we're going to come back to in a little bit. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Here's what I want you to understand. You can do something the world can't do. You can do something that people who don't know Christ can't do. You can live at peace with all men as far as it concerns you. When you are offended by your friends, you can release the debt and give grace. How? How can you do that? Because God Almighty, loving you when you were an enemy of His and in debt to Him with a debt you could not pay, sent His Son to pay it, and He released your debt. And He gave grace to you. You know what God has done? He has cast your sins into the sea and He remembers them no more. Isaiah. Psalm 103. He separates them for you, from you, as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 51. He takes the stains and the blots of sin that were as scarlet and offense against Him. And He cleanses them and He washes them. And He makes them whiter than snow. He makes them glisten like wool. And you didn't deserve it. You hadn't earned it. Nothing you could do to make Him do it. But because He is the King. And when you come to Him in repentance and faith and acknowledge that He is the King, He extends mercy and He wipes the debt. And then He gives grace and He makes you new. He makes you part of His family. You are adopted You are redeemed. You are indwelled by the Spirit of God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And knowing who we are, the same way that we have been forgiven, we can forgive. Isn't that great? They owe me. What did you owe? What did you owe? Our problem is arrogance. Our problem is pride. (laughs) Our problem is arrogance. Our problem is, I've got to get my just desserts. I've got to get my vindication. And in Christ, we say, I have, I've given all of that to God. And I'm trusting Him. Now, I'm going to tell you, if we are normal people, some of us need to be forgiven somebody. Somebody in the last week, month, year, or six years has hurt your feelings. They said something that made you mad, and you can't let it go. They did something or didn't do something... And you can't let it go. And I'm here to tell you in Christ, it's time to let it go. Matthew chapter 6. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. What comes right after the Lord's Prayer? If you don't forgive others, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. What does verse 35 say? If you don't forgive... Others, how can you not forgive others? If you don't forgive others, the Lord won't forgive you. I want you to understand that forgiveness is not an option 
for believers. It's not an option. It's a step of obedience. Now, it may be a process. But the first step is to simply acknowledge, hey, they have offended me. Hey, I've been in offense against God and He has forgiven me. And based upon His love for me and His grace to me, I can extend it to them. Now, the last point is simply the invitation. Don't delay. Two things I'm going to ask you to do. Ask God to show you where you need to make that relationship right. And just forgive. Just forgive. I'm not even telling you to go have a conversation with them yet. That might be part of it. But I'm just telling you in your heart, say, God, I release them. I forgive. I let it go. I release them. Palms down. Not holding on to the debt. Mercy. I release them. And God, by your grace, I want to extend grace to them. And be the friend you would have me to be for your glory. And watch what that does to your relationships. Watch what that does to your heart. You want to sleep all night? You ever been forgiven of something? Really forgiven? And you remember the forgiveness that you received and how freeing it was and how joyful it was? Wait till you're on the other end of that, uh, of, of that exchange. You get to be the one used by God to extend grace to other people. Isn't God good? Oh, let's do that again. Isn't God good? He is good indeed. We've received grace. Extend grace. Now we're going to sing, Yet not I, but Christ in me. And some of you are thinking, I can't do this. I don't know if I can deal with this or not. I'm going to tell you, Yet not I, but through Christ in you, He can. He can. Where there is need, there is always supply. Get this, where there is need, there is always supply. And when you need to extend mercy, He supplies it. When you need to extend grace, He supplies it. So as we sing, you deal with God. Father, thank you for the call to image Christ, to display Christ in our lives by extending forgiveness. Help us to learn how to have lasting relationships. Things that aren't tossed to and fro, things that don't come and go, not... Things aren't separated by things that should not separate us. Help us to expect people to be imperfect and to expect to be offended. But Father, help us to, when we are, bear with one another. And when there is a grievance, when there is a fault, when there is a problem, to be gracious to one another. Not only to release, but to give grace. And Father, help us to remember that we can do that because you've done it in us and to us and for us. And that now's the day of obedience here. The longer we delay, the harder this is. The deeper those roots of bitterness are planted. And we want them uprooted from our hearts. We love you. We trust you to do so by your strength in us. Yet not I, but Christ in me. In your name I pray. Amen.